For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. All right, you got economic questions? This is one of the guys with the answers, or he claims to have them anyway. We're going to test that today because i got a couple of theories I'm going to throw at him. Good friend of the program. He is a contributor at Ordinary Dash Times Magazine. He is an economist. He works for one of them four-letter government offices, which is because, like golf, all the other four-letter words were taken. Uh, he does know what he's talking about, though. We love having him on the program. He's a very good friend of ours. Jericho Hill, sir, how are you on this fine day? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day up here in D.C. Looking forward to getting into the hot tub in a little bit. It is today, but y'all were having NOAA-level rainstorm there a little earlier. How'd that go? Uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of social media uh, in Alexandria about how uh, we apparently got four inches of rain dumped overnight. And for the first time ever, our sewers did not back up. It did not flood. Uh, apparently, our capital improvement projects that we've had actually have worked. So, People are really happy around Alexandria the last couple of days. Infrastructure, drink. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, that's not a Hurricane Matthew down around North Carolina where uh, we got 21 inches of rain in something like three and a half hours or some ungodly biblical I mean, nonsense. That, that's going to flood no matter what. That's going to flood no matter what. Well, it was really, really funny was we had another hurricane two years later, and one of the bridges downtown had opened up a week before <laughs> from being rebuilt from Matthew. That's how that goes. Anyway, let's talk okay. economics. That's enough about the weather. All right. Um, I want to tee you up on this because I here's the problem with economics. We talk big words and nomenclature and theory and dead English guys and all this stuff with economics. And it kind of turns people off and their eyes roll in the back of their head and they never get to the information they ever need about economics. So here's something practical for you, though. A lot of what's going on and you're, we're going to talk about how weird the economic numbers are. How much of this is because and we are in a post COVID era. So let's start there. Did economics and our government and especially our populace, did we just completely underestimate how much of a service economy we have now? And it took COVID for people to really realize it. And we're still seeing the ripple effects of it because we haven't adjusted that viewpoint. Is that fair to say? Uh, if you're talking about it, did policymakers recognize the sort of impacts that, the so that the, what we call the service sector um, has on the economy and sort of the links and the chains between the service sector and other you know, sectors of the economy, financial, housing, uh, government, military, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think that you know, though, these are the things that you sort of see every day, but if nothing sort of stands out to you, it's not very tangible, so you kind of don't notice it, right? Um, and that's true based on you know, just what we do when we go to the grocery store every day um, versus you know, someone that's looking at data um, on a spreadsheet, you know, do an econ forecasting. If we don't notice something, like, yeah, it, it's not going, 
if it doesn't pique our interest, then we're we're we're, we're not going to sort of notice those little finer details. Only when something is, is is comes to the forefront, which is what we have here with COVID, you know, basically you know shocking the system. Um, and then also, you know, let's let's also keep in mind that at the when COVID happened, um, I think you can argue that you know one. Um, the white collar work uh, fundamentally has changed for a significant portion of, of white collar workers now working from home, uh, a much larger extent. Um, it's, it's, it's changed preferences for in office versus home. It's changed preferences for commuting. You know, a whole lot of folks got to not commute for two years, you know. Um, and then, of course, that all translates down to the service sector where they're you know, directly impacted by the fact that, hey, downtowns have been shut down for, well, not shut down, but have been uh, lacking business activity for, for a while. And, and that service sector has had to sort of figure out what the heck they're doing and how they're going to get people and how they're going to continue on. Yeah, because the problem with the service sector is our politicians love to talk about uh, manufacturing and industry. We're going to bring back the manufacturing job. You know, every politician ever nope. says that. Uh, Biden nope. says it every three weeks. Which, yeah, I, you know, I don't even blame him because he said it for 50 years. It's just part of his stick at this point. I'm not even blaming him. Every politician says it. <laughs> but what COVID really showed was, and it's a broad term because we think service workers, we're thinking, you know, fast food workers, grocery yeah. workers, customer mm-hmm. service. But really, that includes things like insurance, finance. Most of banking now is actually service sector, believe it or not, even though uh, any package being delivered to your house. The transportation industry has mm-hmm. gone towards the service industry, especially with, um, what they call last mile transport. And I don't want to make yep. rolls in the back of their head, but that is a paradigm shift in how business is done is last mm-hmm. mile transportation. Yeah, that's this what I was com- referencing. Yep. But this country is a service economy now. And we, how do we it's get people's been, heads? It's been a service economy for, for decades. But how do we get people's heads around that? Because I, I really think, we talk on the show all the time is part of the problem of getting through the noises, you got to get the nomenclature right, make sure everybody's using the same terminology and same definitions. I think a big part of this is, and I'm guilty of it too, I, and I don't even think it's anybody's fault. I think it's just kind of how it happened. How do we change this to get people to talk about this is a service country economy now? I think some estimates, and it's, it varies because of the number, they're talking 60, 70% of our economy could fall into this definition. That should change our politics. It should change our policy, and it should change how we talk about it online and amongst our peers, shouldn't it? It should, but let's let's go back to think about you know the U.S. as as a big ship in the ocean, right? And it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to have that ship change its course just a little bit, right? So we have to think about what the U.S. was back in the '50s, '60s, '70s, and we can go through the '80s if we want to what we are today. And you're essentially asking for people who grew up when the U.S. was still a manufacturing economy to now shift their worldview that they grew up with and know that it's a service sector that takes generations, you know, and I, I like, and also think about right. in those years that I referenced um, labor unions, particularly in the manufacturing sector were incredibly powerful. Right. And they, they still have some of that uh, messaging power today, but you know, there's not really a corollary for, for service set for a lot of the service sector workers, you know, particularly the service sectors that we really think about. Um, so I, I think you, you've got sort of that coordination and messaging, you know, challenge as well that maybe didn't exist when we were fairly easy to wrap your head around manufacturing issues. I got a I, just personal note here, and I, but I think it illustrates it. I got a picture from my mom here a couple of weeks ago of my dad when he was, I think, 19 or 20 years old. 
and he's wearing this cutoff army fatigue shirt because his summer job that year, he was working at Youngstown sheet and tube and he was doing the hot work. They run around on the furnaces. The reason he was wearing the cutoff shirts because you wear the big leather sleeves and leather stockings to work around the furnaces. That was his summer job, right? Because he had ends with the union and new people and you know how those sorts of things. That company doesn't even exist anymore. Those kind of jobs for 19, 20 year olds without a college education don't exist anymore. That's one lifetime ago. And, and our family was there for Black Monday where they pretty much wiped out, you know, Youngstown in one fell swoop. That wasn't, I mean, it sounds like, you know, 50, 60 years ago is a long time ago, but it really wasn't in economic terms. This thing went fast. And I think the last 10 or 15 years with the way the internet and social media, I think we're seeing another one of those moments now where everything's changing faster than we really, really realize it is. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I think we're at a, one of those technological inflection points. Um, I mean, we can go back to the, the, the simplest corollary is, you know, what happened to the, to the work environments when we actually got computing it, you know, uh, and that radically changed what people could do um, in the office and what kinds of analyses could be done. It radically changed what we do in economics because now we could actually model things uh, without going to a massive mainframe computer that took up three stories in a building. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're transitioning. We've got a, we've got a, a generation uh, the, the millennials that have now gone through three economic crises versus the Gen Xers that really went through maybe one, right? Under, under Carter and early Reagan, you know, that was kind of the, the most tangible one. Um, you know, and then you've got the, the Gen Zers coming in and they're, they're starting their, their, um, their journey in the, in the labor market coming out of a, of a recession. You know, and, and where things are, are, are a little bit uh, weird. Now, again, it's weird. Like they're they're dealing with you know insecurity. They're they're like they can't afford. A, they don't think they're ever going to be able to afford a home, or at least any home that they they would want. Um, but at the same time, unemployment is at levels that you know economists you know five years ago would say are are, are well below what we would expect a normal functioning economy to be at, um, at least for the U.S. You know, but so we have this very weird Jekyll and Hyde economy right now, especially if we compare it to the rest of the world. It, it's just really fascinating. Like we think about the choice architecture that we had in the last couple of years, how, how we look very different than Europe right now, which is the best sort of uh, comparison I can I can use. And that's why I bring up the Youngstown thing and the steel thing again. And I don't want to harp on the point, but I think it's important for people to understand. And again, it's personal because my family was involved. So this is, you know, part of our Part of the lore of my family is, you know, my father got offered those jobs, turned it down, went to West Virginia to be a teacher, and he has a nice retirement while most of those folks struggled for years and years and years because they left the steel mills to go work for GM and Alliance because they thought that'd be safer. And well, you see how that worked out. Mm -hmm. But the reason I bring that up is the steel industry in places like Youngstown and Bethlehem Steel, and you can go to Lehigh Valley or wherever else you want to talk about, they all died in the 70s and 80s. But it wasn't the 70s and 80s that killed them. It was the 50s and 60s because they never upgraded what they were doing. They never they never advanced. They never revolt. And then when we re rebuilt Europe and Japan post-World War II, they had all the new stuff and they had all the new technology and we fell behind. The reason I bring this up is I wonder if the reason some of this doesn't make sense is there's other parts of the world that might be evolving a little bit faster on some of this stuff than we realize. And maybe it won't be as dramatic as that, but is there a danger of this that we're not adapting and moving forward as fast as we probably should have as a world leader, like we did with steel, where they were running 30s and 40s furnaces in the 70s, and that just ain't going to work? 
I think that we've still done a pretty good job of capturing sort of the, the, the economic dy dynamicism of entrepreneurs and, and business starters who still prefer to come to the US to create those businesses um, over Europe, over Japan. Um, you know, so I, I think that we still have that infrastructure in place. I, I do think, however, the emerging choice seems to be uh, a European choice of accepting um, a little bit less of economic growth, but having a much better balance of life, um, I would say, um, versus, you know, sort of what we've had in the U.S., which has been sort of a hyper focus on product, profits and productivity at the expense of people working 60 hour weeks. So what's, what is sustainable, right? Where, where are we going with choices, especially as the developed world is getting richer and richer? Well, the problem there is, and I'll just point it out, if I'm working a 60-hour week in management and you're working a 60-hour week as an hourly employee and you're box kicking and I'm at a computer, those on paper and in economic and on the spreadsheet, those look like the same thing. Those are not the same thing, though. Uh, are no, they? no, 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 they're not. And they, it's really hard. You, just take me behind the scenes, but use small words so even I can understand it, though. When you're on the academic side, when you're analyzing this sort of thing, how do you get some kind of a variable in there to account for that? Because on paper, it's the same thing, but those are two very different things. And yet that's exactly what you as an economist need to explain both to policymakers and to the public, though, isn't it? Well, OK, so let's break this down a little bit more. So we look at, you know, what is what? How, how many hours per week are people working? And we've seen in the developed world, Europe and the US, that the number of hours a typical worker is working has been declining um, a little bit more in Europe than, than here, um, you know, especially compared to, you know, several decades ago. Um, but, you know, we sort of, I think, uh, at least on a white collar perspective, uh, saw that a lot of our work time, which I use the air quotes therefore, um, was spent in fairly unproductive uh, ways. Uh, it seems that the, 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 the meetings that we used to have uh, now when we get to this Zoom environment uh, have been a little bit less and people have uh, accepted that maybe the traditional nine to five in a lot of places is not necessarily the thing that, that actually works best for folks. And we've seen some flexibilities there. I, I think the biggest challenge for the US economy compared to Europe um, is Europe's already sort of had this sort of lifestyle-focused uh, economy for a little bit. They've been better about work-life balance and, and benefits, whatnot. Look, we know some countries, we laugh at it. They take a little you know, siesta in the middle of the day or they have a wine hour at one o'clock. They're generally happier than we are here in the U.S. Um, but, you know, we, we, we in the U.S. have had this essentially uh, what, I, what I think a lot of us have called a case-shaped uh, economy forming forming. And I think COVID really exacerbated that. What I mean is, um, and I, I've used this analogy a couple of times, we've got our service sector workers who are having to show up into the office, still having to commute, um, still working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And then you've got the white collar workers, like myself is in there, that are, that are you know, continuing to work their, their normal hours, but doing so at home without commuting, um, and much more, you know, having much more pleasant circumstances to do it. And for, you know, up until COVID, the, the, the wage gains were, were almost exclusively happening amongst that white collar upper income set. COVID has flipped that switch a little bit. We are seeing wage gains um, at the bottom of, of income earners uh, far, outpa 
far outpacing those of the highest of the, in the, in the of the highest earning uh, workers. And actually, uh, many estimates suggest that even with inflation being a little bit ridiculous at this point, um, the income gains for low income workers has outpaced inflation in the U.S., which yeah, is. Interesting, but you've said life balance three times now, so we're going to come in and hone on that right after we take a break. Our friend Jericho Hill, great economist, great friend, explaining it so even I can understand it. Doing a little economics and plain speak today with our buddy. More with him on Hertel right after this. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. We're talking economics, but we're trying to kind of keep it on a lowest level, one so I can keep up with him because he's got all them fancy letters after his name as an economist, our buddy Jericho Hill joining us. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, because you keep talking about life balance and life and work balance and cost of living is the number one thing in America. And we've been talking to our British friends. They just deposed their prime minister, one, because he was lying about stuff. But two, they're having a cost of living crisis, which hard to put up with shenanigans when you have a cost of living crisis. Cost of living is going to be the the top issue in our election this year also, I believe. But I found something interesting this morning. I was in line at Bojangles. For the folks that aren't fortunate enough to know, that's a fast food place that does biscuits and chicken and things like that. Wonderful organization, great restaurant. But they had a sign sitting right beside the drive-thru this morning. I put it on my Twitter feed. I'll link to it in the show notes. And it was to get people to hire them. You've seen these signs all over the place, but I want to talk about the order that these things were on the signs because this is a major company. They means test these things. They don't put them out accidentally, right? This is a produced sign. I'm going to read them in order. Number one, earn extra pay, $250 every time you refer an employee that stays for 90 days. And that's got an exclamation point after it. So I stopped you there just to say, why are they leading with that? Because $250 is the biggest number that they have, right? No. And, yeah. you know, you know, you know, 250 versus, you know, 
15 an hour. Like obviously 15 hours bigger with, with a lot of hours, but you know, 250 boom right there. Quick money, quick hit. Yeah. Get your friends to come work there. Boom. And if you're making $14, $15 an hour, not an insignificant amount of money either. No, it is not. Uh, number two would be a big point for me. Delicious free meals. I'm a hey, free food. I'm in. I, I, I'll work like a dog for you for free food. Hey, yeah, you're right. Free meals. And guess what? Guess what's gotten expensive recently? Food. Bojangles fries. But that's why I got the seasoning at the house. But that's neither here nor there. You can get it on Amazon.com, folks. But this is where it gets really interesting. Okay. I'm just going to go through these. You stop me when you want to talk about it. Next item, work the schedule best for you. Mm-hmm. Free so time. I'm going I'm Go to stop you there because there is, there's some interesting um, other sort of alternative work schedules that have come out. Uh, you mentioned the Lehigh Valley area and some of those manufacturing areas that are still there. Um, I, I've, I've seen some, some programs uh, and some studies done of some of these manufacturing plants now offering a nine o'clock to two o'clock shift schedule. Guess who that's for named at? I mean, that is for mama. Yeah, because, and we talked about this on the show before, the the sector of the working, the hourly workers that just got absolutely creamed was the 35 hours and under because when school is out, they cannot work because those were jobs when kids are out of school or once the kids get home from school, they'd go pick up some hours. They got absolutely decimated. And that really hurt a lot of these service sector companies because- those are if you run a restaurant, if you run a customer-facing service business, those are your float workers and peak hour workers, and that's why you see a lot of these problems with these types of businesses, isn't it? And so, and so, yeah, and, and of course, right now they're also struggling to get people into the door. Um, the GOP was out there on Twitter yesterday saying that fifty percent of small businesses are struggling to hire folks, and I'm going, yes, your unemployment rate is less than four percent again. Um, we still have a little bit of folks that, that we would expect to come back. Our labor force rotation rate is about a percentage or two point lower than it was um, in like 2018, 2019, I believe. Uh, so a little bit of slack there, but not a whole lot. But the, the point is, you know, they're saying all these small businesses are struggling to hire people. Yes, it, it's, a, it's a labor market. It's, it's, a, it's a worker's market right now. If you're not offering and incentivizing these folks to come work for your company, some other company will, and Bojangles is, is, is reaching out to that. So they're saying, we're going to give you flexible schedules. So if you are a working mom and you want to do a nine to two, seven days a week, you can. Like they're going to find ways to make that work because that's that beats that means that that worker doesn't go to KFC down the road. Now, this next one blew me away. And I think this is a, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's not a big deal that they're offering it because companies are offering I think it's a big deal that they're offering it because that means people have been demanding it. Mm-hmm. This is right on the side. This is the fourth thing from the top other than free food. Which Again, really all this of... tells you is that workers have some bargaining yeah. strength right now. But listen to this one, because this if, if it was a newspaper, this would be above the fold, they used to say. You know, the part laying mm-hmm. there that you want them to see. Free telemedicine and telemental health. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a, you want to talk about culture shifts and economics and then hiring. There's your one right there. Well, I mean, think about, you know, one technology got to the point where it's very easy to do telemedicine. It's very easy to have. Um, and these are often staffed by, by uh, nurse practitioners, um, at least as a, as a first pass. Um, and, you know, I mean, we have this with my with my health insurance company. You know, I can do tele, telemedicine visits uh, instead of wasting an hour of commuting. I can do a 15 minute meeting um, and they 
for most things, they can diagnose you, you know, through that up, you got a cold. Okay, we'll put in the cold prescription to the pharmacy. When you get off your work shift or your kid comes home, you can come over to the pharmacy and pick it up and, you know, whatnot. Technology makes it super easy. People are able to now, like, think about 10 years ago, we couldn't do this because we didn't have these smartphones that literally everybody has, no matter what your income level is, everybody's got a smartphone, which has video capability. So, so now we have this accessibility. So they're saying, look, we're going to engage a subscription service. That's what they do. There's companies out there that do, you know, have primary care and nurse practitioners, you know, ready to, to talk to folks. CBS has this with minute clinics. If you walk in, it's the same business concept. Um, and, you know, they can, they can provide that because the cost is actually fairly low if you do it for a big pool of employees. Um, but it is a benefit that means that they don't have to think about it. They don't have to think about how do I get to the doctor's office when I don't have a car and I rely on the bus and the bus is late. I don't, you know, what if my kid's home sick and I, I still need to go and, 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 and have, you know, my, a regular checkup. I, I'm feeling stressed and anxious and I want to do some, some, some counseling, some, some, some tele, you know, mental health stuff. Um, you know, again, like how do I fill that around my schedule? Well, guess what, right? These sorts of, of online sort of virtual environments are now allowing people to do that. It's a, it is, it, it's an easy benefit, I think, for a, for a big company to, to, to do. Um, I think it's fairly low cost, but it, it signifies that, hey, we're willing to put this forward, you know, forward as a benefit, and we're going to have that as a subscription that you don't have to worry about. And I think, again, like, if KFC is not offering that, guess who's going to walk in the door, right? You're making their life easier. And somebody that's been a manager, because um, I was doing that before I, you know. You and I both. You, know, you and I for, both. <laughs> but you'll, under, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. I think major companies have figured this out that a lot of the really hard, nasty stuff that managers have to do, I'm talking about the stuff that makes you want to quit and walk out the door right now today. I think a lot of these companies, I need to write about this. A lot of these companies have figured out that they've been having their managers do a lot of stuff that mental health ought to have been doing, not their managers. Because, and you've been in that, you know, they want to talk about their, their something went wrong at home. Uh, something went wrong with the, the significant other. Kids sick, kids not behaving well. I've got a problem with so-and-so I'm depressed today. I'm whatever. That's a lot of your managing time in the office. If you got folks that have, you know, telemental health where they have a counselor, look, I tell you, I've been taking telemental health for two and a half years since COVID shut down the VA's mental health and they've, they've brought it back some. I've got one tomorrow with my, my, my psychiatrist, you know, to dial in my meds. I'll have a 15 minute phone call with him to dial it in instead of spending two hours driving up there. I think these companies have figured out not only is it good business, not only is it ethically and morally good, it's good for business because now you can give these folks a, you know, 30 minutes on clock telehealth, mental health, and you're taking pressure off your managers and you're getting a happier, better employee. Not just, not just pressure off managers. I do agree with you that there's, there's definitely some of that. I will say that, you know, I'm not sure this is true for every federal agency, but my federal agency has an employee assistance program. Um, and yeah, I can do it virtually. I can do it in person, but I can have, you know, X number of counseling appointments in a given year. I have used that in the past, um, you know, and it came in quite helpful. Now, what I will say is, you know, the company is also getting a benefit. If they have, if they're able to improve their workers' physical and mental health, those are workers that stick around a little bit longer. Um, service sector, you know, one of the big challenges is the uh, hiring and retention of employees. Right. There are costs associated with having to, you know, reach out, post jobs, interview and keep employees on the books. 
you know. So to the extent that you're able to have your employee reduce your employee turnover by a significant margin, that improves your profitability and survivability of a business. It has a very nice side effect that your employees are happier, healthier, and, and downright better people. And yes, your managers do a little bit less of counseling. Yeah. Now the next one, um, a lot of people would blow this off and think it's just pro forma, but it's a big deal if you're an hourly employee. Weekly pay. Um, you know, we, we both work on a different, what's the famous intro to leverage? Like we work on an alternate, uh, fiduciary arrangement. Uh, we, we have a little different lifestyles now, but we've been those worker hourly employees. We've done that kind of work. That's a big deal to people that are just trying to get by weekly pay, isn't it? It is an economist. That's an indicator too, isn't it? It is a much bigger deal than I think maybe even you appreciate. There is a lot of research out there, Andrew, that shows in terms of behavioral finance and behavioral econ that the closer you make when someone gets their paycheck and when they have their expenses hit, right? And you know, expenses hit on the first, the fifth or the 15th of the month, that's the typical due dates. The closer that you manage, you have to align the, the income that they're getting to their expenses, the better off the financial stability of that employee and their household is going to be, irrespective of them earning more money, the same amount of money, but the closer you time it, the better off that household is going to be. Very simple explanation. Um, and this comes from a buddy of mine that uh, was a Marine and talked about him trying to figure out, this is going over to Afghanistan, the C-130, you know, oh, do I have enough in the account to cover the mortgage for the next two months, you know, or, or these other expenses? You, 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 you reduce the, the mental accounting that folks have to do, the mental checkbook that they have um, to ensure that they have cash flow to, to meet that, you know, like how much do I really have to save, you know, to make sure I can pay my next bill? Um, you know, that, that's important. That is, that is mental energy that is now not going to be taken up by having to worry about that. And instead, it can do something else. Yeah, I, I think. And the last company I worked for, even though I was on the management level, I was paid weekly just because the pay structure of the company, hourly management, unless you were at the executive level, we all got paid weekly. That's how the whole company was set up, which was actually kind of cool because you could talk to your guys and commiserate like, hey, I'm getting paid every Friday just like you. Let's just get through. You know, you could spend it a little bit. Um, and frankly, about half of them made more money than I did. My top four or five guys made almost double what I made. But you could spend it and be like, hey, we're all just trying to get to Friday and get our paycheck, that kind of thing. But I, I think a lot of folks that don't know just blow past that one and wonder, well, why is that so high up the list? That's why. And I again, think you did a I, great I, job explaining it. Again, I, mean, I can point to a number of studies. I'm happy to do that in a post later on in Ordinary Times. But yeah, there's, there, there, are, there are often very few one weird trick to solve things. And better timing income to expenses is literally one of those simple little one weird tricks that actually works. And doesn't cost anybody really anything. <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just rearranging your pay schedules a little bit and since most checks are electronic you know i mean it's not like there's a paper being cut anymore yeah any company of marginal I, you know what even even small businesses now everybody's direct deposit because of the there's also uh benefits to doing that on the company side of it 
the rest of this list is um, career advancement and then the hourly pay for team members and shift managers. I think there's a little psychology here involved. We've been talking about the, the, the economics out of this. Like you said, they opened up with the $2,250 bonus up front. Then they talk about weekly pay, then career advancement. That's how people think about it. Short-term first, long-term second. Mm -hmm. I find this little sign very interesting way to talk about practical economics. We opened up talking about how economics gets too big, wordy, wordy, and too many you know charts and graphs and too much math. And you know I don't do math. This is the practical level of economics that I think folks they can get their head around, but at the same time, we also tend to ignore it the most, don't we? Mm -hmm. I mean, we as economists do often uh, ignore this part, although we're getting better at it when we're considering sort of non-monetary benefits that folks are are are, are realizing when they go to work. Um, yeah, and I, again, like I do think you know this is this is the corollary to the white collar uh, work now. Um, are you going to force us to come back to the office or are we going to be able to, to be home-based a bit more? Um, and I will tell you, uh, even, you know, within the federal government, we, we have a, uh, there's a definitely a, a difference in agencies in terms of what their telework positions are going to be post all pandemic, but we're seeing those plans sort of get finished and whatnot. And you have uh, agencies running from full-time telework to everybody in the office four days a week. Um, it's very telling where the good employees are going from those agencies that are requiring them to be in the office quite a bit. Um, it, it, it seems to me that there is a, a shift afoot of, of folks leaving agencies that are not offering that telework benefit. Yeah, and it's easy on something like the federal level where everybody's slotted and everybody, you know exactly what they're making, exactly what their benefits are. So if they start moving around, it's going to be obvious why pretty, pretty fast because you've got a pretty good control. Yeah, and, and, and for folks that may not know, no, you cannot, as, as someone in this world, be home-based and be collecting a D.C. locality pay, which is which is much higher than, say, Omaha, Nebraska, and then live in Omaha, Nebraska and book the difference. No, that there are things that are in place in every contract that pretty much make that uh either highly impossible or just flat impossible. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's not the West happen. Virginia rule in DC because everybody started moving across the border right there and they're still <laughs> driving to the train station and riding in so, and getting a split. So, so, you know, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, know, you still have to be able to get into your home office and whatnot on, on a, on a fairly quick turnaround, um, which you, you couldn't really do except it would be prohibitively expensive if, if you did, if you lived anywhere else. But, you know, I think that's worth pointing out that I think that we're going to continue to see that, you know, we, we've seen, you know, other businesses, um, you know, say, Oh, we're going to, we're going to go back to what we were doing. And, and they've had to sort of change that. I mean, heck, even at my own agency, I, I've seen the discussions, like even in management, you know, the, it starts off managers will be in the office this many days a week. And then, a couple of weeks later, oh, it's been reduced a little bit. Oh, it's been reduced. I mean, people respond to incentives. That's economics. Everything yeah. else is details, my friend. All you need to know is figure out what the incentive structure is. That, that's all you, That's all the economics you need to know. You get yourself another PhD there if you can figure out all the VPNs people are coming up with to try <laughs> to get that travel in person. Anyway, uh, just, just a minute or two left here, though, but I have to ask sure. you the question. Everybody's talking about inflation, cost of living, things like that. We're starting to hear rumblings from people who generally know what they're talking about, though, that a lot of people thought recession was inevitable. A lot of people talking now, they think it may not be as inevitable. We may have avoided the worst of it. There may be inflation, maybe peaking. Prices might be peaking. 
do you buy that talk? I know you don't like to predict things, but there's some uh, people been, that know what they're talking about that think the recession thing might not be as big a monster as it was. Not that we're out of the woods yet, but it's maybe backed off a little bit. Is so, that true? So, so I would say it like this. Um, we are seeing some positive signs that inflation uh, has peaked or is peaking. Uh, home price growth uh, and should should decelerate with the Fed jacking up, you know, the Fed funds rate, which then impacts the mortgage rates. And we've seen mortgage rates go from three percent to five to six percent. So that will slow things down a good bit. That will reduce the housing and shelter inflation that that's been driving a bit of that. Uh, we're seeing uh, oil has come down a good bit, uh, and I will say, just as I said, that Biden probably gets got too much blame when oil went up. He's going to get too much credit when oil comes down. Uh, that's just the vagaries of the world economy, you know. But but that that's a positive sign that we're seeing. Um, so yes, I, I I am optimistic that the worst of the inflation spike is over. I think this is more like a wave though that comes over uh, the beach and then it takes a while for everything to drain back into the ocean. Um, that's sort of where I am right now. I think maybe we've peaked, but I don't think it's going to. I think it's going to stick with us a little bit longer than we wanted at some elevated levels. We're going to have some flooding for a couple of days, so to speak. Now, um, you know, and then, you know, we also looked at, you know, hey, employment's doing great. As I said, like, I, I wanted to start this with Andrew uh, to say, you know, we have a very weird economy. We have high inflation. We have incredibly low unemployment. We have wage growth that's better than most European, actually pretty much all European countries at this point. Um, and so this is one of those weird things, you know, um, could the Fed have possibly engineered a soft landing? Yeah, it's possible. I think that it's it's probably best to think about what might happen. You know, I might think of this as more like a 2001 recession versus like a 2008, right? 2008 was, was pretty bad and lasted for years, impacted people. 2001, we did have a mini recession and then things just kept on going. And Maybe we're looking at something more similar to that. that that's where I am right now. That, that's sort of my thinking. Um, I, I, I really don't want for, to, to fall into the trap of, you know, the classic define a recession only using one metric and, and that's a recession. Um, I think we'll see a slowdown. I, I think that, you know, uh, we will see parts of the economy more impacted than others, but could we possibly be avoiding the worst of the worst? Yeah, I, I think we are. I think we're going to thread that particular needle, but I don't, I don't want to predict that there's not going to be some pain. Um, yeah. Good stuff as always. Our good friend, Jericho Hill, let folks know where they can follow you on social media and your writing until we get you back, which is going to be soon. Cause it's going to be a whole summer of this economic news. I'm afraid my friend. Oh yeah. Well, you know, now that I'm done with all my other stuff down South, I'll be, uh, be uh, more available. You can find me on Twitter at Moto Economist. Uh, and you can find me at ordinary times, same darn name, Moto Economist. That's where you'll find me at. He does great work. We're going to get him back writing at Ordinary Times now that his schedule is going to settle down a little bit, and we will definitely keep having him in the heavy rotation because you do good work. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate you. All right. Time. No problem, sir. Bye-bye. Yes. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.